All right, good evening, everybody. I appreciate you guys being out with us. We already got a few people uh, commenting. That's that's a blessing to see. You can open to 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to begin in verse number 12 tonight. And as always, I'm going to go ahead and pray and get us started. Father, thank you for this privilege today of uh, being together with the other saints. Father, uh, to get to open the Word of God, talk about perfecting our love. Thank you for that that message. Thank you for teaching us about that, manifesting that love towards us. Father, we want to show a love for truth tonight. Please speak to our hearts. I pray you give us the correction, the instruction that we need, Lord, to become more like you, to run this race in a way that is pleasing to you. Please fill me with your spirit tonight. My goal is simply to say what you want me to say. Father, please, I pray that beyond that, you would do the work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 10. This is now part three of uh, this chapter. So I've just given you the outline below me. We're on the third part of it tonight. We've already dealt with dealing with disobedience, proving one's power. We talked about uh, how to properly use your authority and how to go about establishing that when necessary. Part three, commending, comparing, and competing. Verses 12 to 18. So let me give you a few options for for the final portion of this chapter. If I wanted to give it one theme and just talk about one thing tonight, we could talk about how the Christian life is not a contest. It is not a contest. The sound is a bit off. I don't know what to do about that. Let's try this. Is that better? I think I fixed it. I'm not sure why that was different. Okay, are we good? Somebody let me know if we're good. Awkward moment. Let, let me fill it in with this. Amen. Okay, can you hear that okay? Um, I hesitate to go on because better, that's good. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep pushing on. Okay, it's not a contest. So if, I, I think the last portion of this chapter, if you just wanted to talk about that, you're going to get the idea. Uh, we're not competing against each other. We'll talk more about that in a moment. If you want to expand it a little further, I could give you a two-point outline, and and I would say verses 12 to 16 is about comparing and competing and how Paul. He deals with that. He rebukes that. He says that's not a good idea. Verses 17 and 18, Paul speaks about commending. So you got those three C's working there, comparing, competing, and then the last part is commending. And we'll talk about man's approval and God's approval. So you could just focus in on that. What we're going to do is take it one step further. I'm going to break it down into five parts tonight and give you a five-point outline. So let me go ahead and give you the, the first part of that. Uh, when it comes to commending, comparing, and competing, which I, I think right, that's a good way to sum up what we're going to learn tonight. Uh, verses 12 and 13, the first thing that we're going to see has to do with using the right standard. Use the right standard. So let's, let's get into this a little bit. Verse 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So Paul is acknowledging that these guys, uh, they are 
competing against each other. They're using each other as the standard for judgment. He says that's a foolish way to go about judging things. Verse 13, we're going to put this together with it. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So these first two verses, as it, as it deals with the idea of competing against each other, in the Christian life, right, Paul uses this analogy a few times, how we're running a race. In one place, 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about how he likens the Christian life to boxing. And we're not one that beats the air. So to, to use an athletic analogy or an illustration right, makes sense because there are some aspects of athletics that you would find in the Christian life, such as the need for discipline, temperance, uh, giving your best effort, and so forth. But the mistake would be made to think that I'm going to win a prize, that there's some sort of reward for outdoing my brothers and sisters in Christ. We know, biblically speaking, that there are crowns that we can win at the judgment seat of Christ, and it, which is a righteous thing for God to do, to reward um, faithful, good behavior, right? Let me, let me just show you quickly in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, where Paul talks about this crown. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. So right away we have the sense of if I win, I'm going to get this reward. But again, don't jump to the conclusion that I win because I run faster than my brother or I made it to the finish line before my brother or I did more things than my brother or sister. That's that's not the, the standard here. Verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they, speaking of uh, the athletes of the world, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So I'm not wasting my time. I know what God wants me to be busy doing, and I'm going to be busy doing that. So the competition, if you want to think of the Christian life in, a, in, in the sense of a contest, right? And Paul's using that analogy. The competition is against the course, not your fellow contestants. Each one of us has a race that is set before us, right? Hebrews 12, verse 1, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So you need to stay in your lane and mind that path that God wants you to walk. Now, bear in mind, all of us, there are going to be many similarities to the races that we're running. Right? God expects similar uh, you know, upright standards from all of us. But the specifics of our race might be a little different. And therefore, because God has given me one path, one course to run, and God might have called you on a slightly different path or course, it makes no sense to say, ha, I'm I'm making more distance on mine compared to you. We're not even, we're not running in the same lane. And that's why it's not wise or to, to judge yourself by comparing uh, your race to others. It's not precisely the, the same race. Uh, I'm going to bring you back to 2 Corinthians. Well, I'm going to try to. 
while I'm doing that, let, let me just quickly mention, I think it's sometimes good to, to repeat this just to have it fresh in your mind. There are crowns, right? Paul talked about how we can win an incorruptible crown, a crown that doesn't fade away. And in the New Testament, there are four crowns that are mentioned. There's the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. Now you find these respectively, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19, James chapter 1, verse 12, and 1 Peter 5, verse 4. That's where you're going to find those crowns mentioned. We give these crowns nicknames, right? Crown of righteousness, that's the finisher's crown. So if you, Paul says there, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith, right? I've run a good, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. So that's, the, that's a man concluding the race. And again, you see that the, the, the competition aspect of it was for Paul to finish what God had given him to do. And he says, because he's finished his, his race, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So the, the crown of righteousness, that's the finisher's crown for being faithful unto the end. We refer to the crown of rejoicing. That's the soul winner's crown people that are busy winning other folks to Christ. The crown of life, we refer to that as the martyr's crown. And you kind of have to read in James 1, also in Revelation 2, verse 10, you get some more information as to why we call that the martyr's crown. Uh, but those are people that are faithful in times of temptation, whether you're tempted to quit or tempted to sin. And then in 1 Peter, this crown of glory, we refer to that as the pastor's crown or shepherd's crown. Um, but as I point out in discipleship, for those of you that have done that, is it, I don't think it's limited to only pastors, but rather anybody that feeds the flock, that teaches somebody else the Word of God would, be, um, would have access to that crown potentially. One thing that you must notice though, there's no crown for running faster than your brother. There's no crown for saying, I, my brother messed up this many times, I didn't mess up as many times, therefore I get a crown. There's no crown for that. So the Bible tells us exactly what we're supposed to be busy trying to do and accomplish and achieve the things that God approves of. Those are the things we need to be mindful of. Uh, Second, Timothy, or, uh, Second to Corinthians, rather, chapter 10 and verse 12. Let me break this down uh, piece by piece. For we dare not make ourselves of the number. Now, there's an, actually an interesting phrase there, make ourselves of the number. It comes from one Greek word, and it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament in this, in this way. Uh, the word, it can also be understood, we do not judge ourselves. We, we do not use our own standard to judge ourselves. So when Paul says, make ourselves of the number, he's saying, I'm not going to rank myself. Now, it's a very popular thing. You know, you go on YouTube and you get these top 10, or the internet in general, top 10 lists, top five of this, top three of that. And we, we love to rank things. And listen, ranking by itself isn't an altogether bad thing. You're welcome to, to, to have your opinion as to what is better than what, right? In, in any, whatever the subject is. But when it comes to the things of God, right? To rank yourself, to say, I know because I'm keeping my standards, my opinion of myself, I think I'm better than so-and-so. Paul says, that's a, that's a foolish thing to do. I, I dare not try to rank myself. Uh, let me give you another passage here where I think Paul says something similar. He says it in a slightly different way. 
but you're going to see the same thought come across. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he says, if, if you want to rank me, if you want to judge me as a good or a bad minister, then do so by looking at how I manage the mysteries of God. Right? The, a steward is a manager. So look at how I manage and deal with and handle how faithful I am at teaching and sticking to, I don't compromise on, the mysteries of God. Which again, if, you're, if you've been around, you've heard me talk about this. The mysteries of God, that, that makes up what we know as the mysteries of the faith. That's New Testament teaching. That's what we believe as New Testament Christians. Verse uh, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So he teaches this everywhere to every crowd. He doesn't change it to please one crowd. And, you know, the next crowd may not like it as much. Paul stuck with it. Verse 3, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. So Paul had some people in the church that liked him a little too much. They were ranking him extremely high. Now, you know what the Corinthians were doing, right? In chapters 1 to 4, Paul points this out. Some of you say, I'm of Paul. Some, I'm of Apollo. Some, of Cephas, right? And they, they were clinging on to these guys and really making a big deal out of an individual. He says, guys, you know, you can appreciate the encouraging words if somebody pats you on the back and says, man, I, you know, I liked your sermon or I appreciate the way you taught that. Fine, but notice the perspective that Paul has. It is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment, right? Maybe somebody else's standards. Yea, I judge not mine own self. So I think it, it's different wording, obviously, but I think he's communicating the same thought. I dare not make myself of the number. So the other false prophets that Paul was referring to back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, they're comparing themselves and measuring themselves by themselves. You know, they were creating their own ranking system using their own standards. Paul says, I'm not going to get into that. I dare not start putting myself somewhere in that list. He says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 3, I judge not mine own self. So I'm not going to use my own standards to say, yes, I am uh, an accomplished preacher. Right? I'm not going to use standards that I've made up to do that. You can see this coming out in verses 4 and 5. For I know nothing by myself. Right Now, it's a different situation completely if you're using God's standard. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But what Paul is dealing with here is his own personal standard. I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. So you can't say, yet am I, when he says, yet am I not hereby justified. Just because I'm not using my own standard, I don't have my own ranking system, that doesn't mean that I'm some great guy just because I dare not make myself of the number. The, the fact that I'm not ranking myself doesn't win me a crown, right? I'm doing the right thing by not getting involved in that. But still, that's not the end of the issue. God has given me a very specific calling. I need to be busy doing that. The fact that I avoid pride or avoid ranking myself, that's not the end goal either. There's more to it. Uh, he that judgeth me is the Lord. 
Verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man, watch this, this will help us later, then shall every man have praise of God. Do you see the Lord commending there? The Lord approving of somebody? Now, Paul is careful to point out, you're not going to be able to properly rank or judge people in this life because you don't know every single thing that's going on in their heart. Now, you're allowed to come to a limited conclusion. Right? You're welcome to have your own opinions. You know the old saying, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has a couple and they, they all stink. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're welcome to think, I, I like this better than that. Help yourself. But just know that that's not the final word on this. One day the Lord comes and he exposes not just what you did and what people saw, but, but he, he looks into the heart as to why you did it and makes a full and complete judgment. And then right, the hidden things of darkness, good or bad, right? things you were doing, sneaking around, you didn't want people to see, or things you did, for Christ that no one else saw, all of that comes out. And, and then the Lord can either condemn or commend. All right, so let me come back to 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. We dare not make ourselves of the number, so I'm not going to rank myself, or, or, separate issue, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. So first thing, I'm not going to use my own set of, set of standards to judge myself. Second thing, I'm not going to use somebody else's set of standards or somebody else as the standard. Compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. They're, they're coming to a false sense of achievement, and they think they're farther along in the spiritual life than they really are. Verse 13, but we will not boast of things without our measure beyond the amount of grace that God has given us beyond the the way and the amount the quantity and quality of how God has used us Paul says I, I'm not going to boast outside of what God has done but he says according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us and then he's going to explain that measure a little bit more. A measure to reach even unto you. So I think the last part of that verse helps us understand what Paul's getting at. A measure to reach even unto you. As you keep going through the passage, you're going to see how he talks about taking the gospel to the next place. So when he talks about reaching the Corinthians, he reached them with the gospel. And we just saw some verses in, in 1 Corinthians 4. He communicated to them the mysteries of God. So not just the gospel, that Christ died, buried, and rose again, but everything that goes with that, all the mysteries of the faith. He, he properly explained the Christian life to them and what was expected of them. So he says, I, I'm not going to boast in about extra things, extra standards, extra rules that were kept. I'm going to talk about what God has given me, what God has instructed me to do with it, and what I've done with it. He says, I'm going, to stay, I'm going to talk about the race that I'm running. And this particular lane that I'm in, it reached you. 
right? On my path, the race that I'm running, I ran through Corinth. Paul can't deny that, right? He, I mean, it's a, it's a fact. So it's okay to talk about what God did there. Now, I want to switch over to, to Greek just for a moment. And I don't do this often, but I found this interesting. I want to show you something in verse 13 here. When Paul talks about this measure, the measure of the rule, n- notice this word rule. This, this comes from the Greek word kanon, kanon, which is, we say, canon. I don't know if you can see my uh, cursor moving over that. This is where we get the word like a, the canon of Scripture. This is the Greek word that produces this. So it, the root of the word kanon, or kanon, is kane, as you can see there, kane, and it means a straight reed, so like a, a, a ruler is what it is. A rule or canon that is figuratively a standard. And then he continues on by implication of boundary, that is a sphere. And then this word is in, in, it's, uh, translated two ways in, in the King James Bible, a line or a rule. So it's like drawing a line in the sand or a straight line saying that this is how we're going to measure things. Now, I point that out, especially this word standard here. Right. So I want to talk about, and you can see my first point here, use the right standard. Use the right standard. The measure of the rule, the measure of the standard. Uh, let me give you a couple verses about this measure. Uh, Paul talks about this. I'm going to get better at this, I promise. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, If you have heard of the dispensation, now dispensation, this is God dispensing something, God giving you something. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. So God revealed to me the mystery of Christ. You can see down there in verse 4. And then God allowed me the opportunity and the privilege to reach you with this message. Uh, Look in Ephesians 4, verse 7. You'll see it again. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So all of us have been given a certain amount of grace. Now when I say that, right, this includes all the spiritual gifts, everything you learn about the Lord, about how to minister to people, all, of, all the abilities that God has given you, right? And all of us have been given a, a different amount of them. And again, it's not a, I, I'm not trying to outdo my brother. It's not a contest to see who can have more spiritual gifts. That's not the key. Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 13, the key to this, the key to the whole conversation about spiritual gifts is charity. It's love. That's the more excellent way. Let me stay busy trying to help folks with what God has given me, with the gifts, with the knowledge, the wisdom, the love, all of this. I want to be that bucket with a hole in it. God gives it to me now. Who can I help with it? That's, that's the, the, not the contest, not the competition. That's the commission, right? The great commission. Go into all the world and tell them what Christ has done for them. Explain to them how Christ can work in them. And in so doing, you might, you're going to tell them how God did it in your life, right? Share that experience with them so that they can also see God work in their life. 
Now, every one of us is going to be gifted slightly differently. We're going to be able to run this, right? We're trying to accomplish the same thing, show people the love of Christ, get people closer to God, but we might be coming from slightly different angles, but that's what we stay busy trying to accomplish, not trying to outdo each other. All right, we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed, there's that dispensation, distributed to us a measure to reach even unto you. So use the right standard. Paul says we're going to boast about, we're going to talk about, when we seek approval, we, I'm going to use this righteous standard, the measure of the rule. Let me, I've, I put this slide together. Here, three things I want to say about the standards. There's my rules. There's their rules. You say, who is there? Who is them? Who, who are they? Anybody else? Their rules, right? Your rules. You can put yourself in there. And then there's a third category. They are the rule. So there are some improper standards to use, right? Use the right standard. What's the standard? God gave me a job to do. He gave us the Great Commission. We are ambassadors for Christ. I beseech you. I beseech you. Uh, be reconciled to God. That's what we're busy doing. We've been given the word and the ministry of reconciliation. So that's the, that's the standard we go by. How good of a job are you doing at accomplishing and fulfilling the Great Commission? You say, well, not as good as you. That's not the standard. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Don't worry about what the person in the room next to you is doing. Just look at that standard. Jesus wants me to tell somebody else how they can be saved, how they can know him. And there are many, many ways that that message of the gospel can be communicated. Not just through handing them a track, going out on the streets, but living it in front of them at work or at school, right? Out in public. And then when the opportunity arises to explain why you're different than everybody else, right? but, that, but you see how, how this keeps us anchored and centered and focused. Improper standards, my rules. You can make up your own set of standards and say, well, I think this is what makes me special or better. Now, you're welcome to have your own standards. But again, that, that's not going to mean anything eternally. And even in this life, it might give you a false sense of satisfaction or achievement. So be careful about that. Their rules. You can say, well, according to so-and-so's standards, they think that these things are important, and according to them, I'm a pretty good guy. That might be the case. But again, that's not going to win you any points with God. And then there are some fall into the third category. They are the rule. So that is, they look at what other people are doing, saying, and they say, well, they're falling short, but I'm not. So you're, you look at them and say, they're a level three, I'm a level five. Yeah, there might be some people level eight, but at least I'm not a level three. You're using them down there, what you consider to be level three, as the rule. And you think as long as I'm better than that, then I'm accomplishing something. They're not the standard. They're not the standard. Now, I, we know this is a problem, right? We know this is. And, and this whole chapter, we've been, it deals with spiritual warfare. So let me, let me bring you back to the idea of, of spiritual warfare here for a second. Do you see what the devil would like for us to do? We're supposed to be running 
a particular race, staying in our lane, accomplishing that which God has given us to do, which is in line with the ministry of the gospel. And he, the devil sneaks in and makes us think, hey, if you really want to accomplish something, just do more than the next guy. And all of a sudden, we, we start getting this false sense of achievement and I'm doing well, I can slow down a little bit, I'm making so much progress. Yeah, but by whose standard? By whose standard? Uh, I'll give you a few. Well, first let me finish my thought about the devil, right, as it pertains to spiritual warfare. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that the devil is the great accuser and he accuses the brethren before God day and night. So he's constantly bringing us before the Lord, trying to point out why God should destroy us. Now, if the devil is so bold as to stand before God and try to move him to destroy us, how much more do you think he could deceive us? How much more do you think he whispers in our ear to say, look at what she's doing, look at what he said, and constantly making us aware of everybody else Look at the race they're running. And he whispers these excuses in our ear and says, you know what? Um, you're doing more. You, you, you're doing more than them, so you don't need to put in any extra effort. What you've done is enough. Just take a break. And, and how many times have you heard somebody say this? You know... I do my part, I pull my weight, no one else is doing their part. So why should I continue on? And, and listen, it's easy to get frustrated when you are doing more of the work than you really should be doing when others don't pull their weight. I get it, but you can't use them as an excuse for you not doing right. Do, do you see how, how all of the sudden it turns into a bit of a competition. How many people say, I, I don't, I'm not interested in being a Christian or they fall out of the Christian life because there are hypocrites in the church? Yeah, but that other person and their failures, that doesn't, that's not the standard. That's not why we serve Christ. That's not our motivation for serving Christ to say somebody else failed, so that gives me a right to fail. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. All right, so 2 Corinthians 10 I see here, I think somebody in my living room is saying the volume is a little low. I don't know what I can do about that. I have the volume up as high as I can, so let me know if it's still a little low. All right, um, verse 14, we're going to move to our next point here. Don't stretch the truth. Verse 14, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel. All right, so let me, let me say this about verse 14. Notice that Paul is allowed to acknowledge what God has used him to do, right? He says, listen, the fact of the matter is we did reach to you. We, we did. Um, we've come as far to you as preaching the gospel. So it's, I'm not bragging in, in some sort of evil way when I say this is what we did. That's just a fact, right? That's not a matter of pride, right? You might chalk that up to the category of boasting because you are talking about an accomplishment, but it's, 
you're not stretching the truth to make, your sound, uh, to make yourself sound better than you really are. You're not putting forth a bloated version of yourself. Now be careful. It's, there's two ways that this works. Sometimes people stretch the truth right when they're telling the story to others because they want to look good in, in the sight of others. But then sometimes we tend to stretch the truth in our own mind as well. So my second point here, don't stretch the truth. Look, look at your life just for a moment. Look at, look at what God has allowed you to do. Look at the opportunities he's given you. Look at what you did with those opportunities. Right? And be honest. Be honest. Maybe you can point to someone else in the church, or maybe, you know, maybe they're not in this church. Maybe they're somewhere else. But you made a difference in their life. And you're allowed to acknowledge that and say, hey, I, God did something in me and I was just the vessel, but, but we, I reached that person. Fair enough. That, that's that's a, a, a matter of fact. You're allowed to acknowledge that. Paul's acknowledging that. But he's not going to stretch the truth. You, you know the old the story, how the story goes. You caught the fish and it was this big. But then when you, by the time you get home, the fish is this big. And by the time you've told that story five or six times, the fish is this big. And the fish just keeps getting bigger and bigger until you found the whale that swallowed Jonah. I mean, it, it gets a little out of hand after a while. If God is the one who did something through you, just stating the facts about that should be impressive enough. Right? But again, we get this sense of contest. Uh, we, what do we call it? One-upping each other, right? Somebody tells a story, man, that's a great story. Yeah, but listen to this. You think that's good. Listen to my story. And we, we got to tell a story that outdoes that and outdoes that. Now, if you genuinely have a story that's, you know, fits in with the conversation, please help yourself. I, I'm, I'm not super picky about that stuff. I enjoy hearing what God has done and done through other people. But why do we have to constantly get a, a bigger story and a bigger story and a bigger fish and a bigger fish. If, so, if somebody has accomplished something that we would consider rel relatively small, listen, it might be small for what God has done in, in you know, the history of your life, but maybe in that person's life, that's a big deal. And we, we should at least be able to acknowledge how special that story is for that person and say, hey, praise God, he used you also. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. Not a competition to see who gets bigger things done. We just want to all pitch in to this one effort of the Great Commission, getting the gospel out as far as we can, as far as to you also in preaching the gospel. Um, I've seen this with some folks, some preachers, and um, let me just tell the story to illustrate it. I'll, I'll withhold the names because I really think this is a good brother. I do. And even myself, uh, especially years ago, I, I've tried to be very careful in recent, uh, recent days with this. But when it comes to giving an invitation in church, right? Um, I'm not against asking people to raise their hands so that we can pray for them. I, I, you've heard me. You, you know that I do that in church. I don't mind that. But I, I had a guy once. He came and visited Africa. I wasn't with him at the time, but... Uh, it was actually before I was a missionary in Malawi. This guy pitched up. He had, he had a, a several hundred people in front of him. 
And by the end of the sermon, he said, okay, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. Uh, see, that's, that's a loaded question. That, that's not a, I don't think that's a very good question. If you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. <laughs> I think pretty much everybody's going to raise their hand, right? I mean, that, that's, isn't that a kind of a sucker question? If you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. Everybody in the crowd raised their hand. And he said, okay, if you want to go to heaven, repeat this prayer. And then with their hands raised, he prays, they repeat. And by the end, he says, okay, you're saved. As he comes back, he says, we had a hundred, however many people he claimed was in the crowd. We had this many people saved. Now, now what happened is he counted the hands that went up. That many people raised their hand. So when he, tell, when he tells the story as we had a hundred conversions, you gotta be careful about that. You gotta be careful. And that's why I say, even now, I try to be very specific during the invitation. I'm telling you why you're raising your hand and what I'm gonna do when I pray. I'm not saving you. I, I really don't wanna have repeated prayers. I want it to be genuine from your heart. But to come back and say we had 100 people or whatever saved, 100 saved, um, boy, isn't that stretching that story a little bit? Right? I, not only did I think that's a, a poor way of going about um, communicating the gospel and getting so-called conversions or at, even professions. I don't even know if you could say there were 100 professions of faith. You could say 100 people raised their hand or you know, hundreds raised their hand. But beyond that, you just don't know what really happened in the heart. And I, I, it worries me sometimes when stories like that get told. We don't need to stretch the truth. Right? Just be honest about it. And, and you know what? You might look at your life and say, man, if I were to tell the story of how God's used me, it's not that impressive. Well, if, if you think that there's more than can be done, get busy doing it. Right? Then there's no need to stretch the truth. Verse 15, not boasting. Here's the next point. Not boasting of things without, without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. All right, so my third point here, don't steal credit. And, and stretching the truth, stealing credit, the rest of these points are going to overlap quite a bit, but I believe there's a slight difference here. You don't need to stretch the truth. If God used you, you can say it, but only only to that amount. Uh, and then boasting of things without our measures, that is of other men's labors. If somebody else did something in the gospel ministry and achieved something, God used them, you don't need to go around saying that you did it. Don't steal that credit. Now this happens more, more than you think. Um, we sometimes, right, you've heard of the phrase, we're guilty by association. Sometimes that works in reverse, right? We think we've achieved something through association. So because we sit in a building filled with people and some of those people are busy doing what God wants them to do, we think, well, I sat in the room. Well, yes, and you can take credit for that. You sat in the room, but you don't want to then go out and begin to boast and say, yep, uh, I've had a fruitful life and God has used me and X amount of people have been converted and this many people are growing. And um, you could say God used the church or God used this or that individual, but 
don't get the idea that just because you sat in the same room that you're going to get the same credit for that. This happens also, I think, sometimes in a prayer meeting. Right? You get down to pray. Maybe this has happened to you. Right? Somebody else is leading the prayer time. And they're going through the various requests. They're talking to God. And listen, I mean, this is time. People handle this differently. Some people just stay quiet and listen to the one praying. And they amen along with it. And that's fine. Others, like myself, I generally have my own conversation with the Lord. I'm aware that somebody else is, is talking. And I do hear what they're saying. But I'm also talking with the Lord myself while they're praying. But have you ever had it where somebody else is praying and your mind just drifts off, right? And you're... I'm sure that that other person prayed well, but man, my mind just left the room for a minute. It's happened to me on occasion. Be honest. You can say, I went to the prayer meeting. But don't walk away stealing credit and go, man, I really did some good praying. Because that was somebody else approaching the throne, right? Your mind drifted off in, in some other place. It wasn't at the throne of grace. So you can take as much credit as is due, right? Give honor to whom honor is due. You're allowed to say, I was there. <laughs> My body was in the right place. And maybe you even had the right intentions. But don't then say, uh, you know, this prayer was effective and God answered this prayer. God answered that guy's prayer. If you weren't a part of it, don't, don't say that I was, I was uh, busy making supplication. I prayed for you. And so maybe the group did, but... You may not have been a part of that. So be careful. Be careful not to steal credit from other people. Uh, we don't need to. When you look at your spiritual resume, your CV, you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be able to say, Lord, um, I was a member of a church that did a lot. There's no reward for that. Nothing wrong with being a member of a church. But you're going to be judged based on your activity, your participation, how you run, how you ran your, your race. All right, now verse number five, uh, 16. This brings us to the next point. God help me. Yeah, stand on your own merit. Verse 16. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Right, so let's get the end of verse 15, the expectation here. When your faith is increased, this is Paul's hope or expectation, that as the Corinthians grow, they will take the gospel to the next region. Right? So Paul can say, I started the work, I reached to Corinth, and then the Corinthians grew and they took it to the next step. Right? So now Paul's not going to boast without his measure. He's going to say, this is the course I'm running. God used me to get this project started. And now this project is growing based on how the Corinthians are growing. Now what Paul started, they're continuing. And you can see verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. So Paul's measure, his rule would grow there. And not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. So this is standing on someone else's merit. This, this Paul says, I'm not going to uh, take... I'm not going to build off of what Apollos did or Peter did or somebody else. God used me to reach you guys, and I'm acknowledging that. I am not going to say because Apollos did or because Peter did, because I know Peter, because I approve of Apollos. 
therefore I'm going to, that makes me somewhat of a better man. That makes me a more acceptable Christian to God. There's, there's no crown in heaven for you liking a certain preacher. Now, listen, it, it's, there's no shame in, in building off of or onto what somebody else started. Right? Paul, the way God used him, he always went to a new place where Christ had not been named and started from scratch. That was, that was Paul's race. But even Paul acknowledged that the Corinthians, were, they should build on what he started. So there's nothing wrong with building on top of what some other man did, how God used that person. But Paul's careful not to consider what somebody else did as his own merit. When you stand before God and you're seeking God's approval, right, either you can say that about now or on the day of, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, God is not going to approve you because you stood on somebody else's work. So in, in my case, I was trained by Dr. Ruckman, and God has used several other men down through the years to, to add on and build on to my life, but I could not get to the judgment seat of Christ and, and say, and the Lord asked me, all right, now what did you accomplish? And I said, well, I went to Dr. Ruckman's Bible school. Now, I went to Bible school but just because I went to his Bible school, I cannot borrow his good deeds and his merits and now expect God to give me some special crown or reward because I went to that school. That's part of my story, sure, but I can't stand on Dr. Uckman's merits, nor, nor would I fail just because of any of his failures. Right? He's not the standard. The, the grace that God has given me the abilities, the opportunities. I'm going to be judged based on what God gave me to do. Right? Not what He gave you to do, not how He used someone else. I'm going to have to stand on my own merit. I think this is important to acknowledge here. Standing on your own merit because part of the spiritual battle right, is, is we tend sometimes, right? the devil will maybe whisper in your ear, and make you think you're accomplishing more than you, than you really are. I, I want to say this publicly so, so that I, I want to make it real to me. I want this to be known. I do my part in the church, but wow, there are a lot of people in our church that do a lot of things. And they don't do it so that I will name them during a live stream. And therefore, I'm not going to name them, except a couple of them. Because Christina, guys, there is no doubt in my mind that I could never accomplish a great deal of what I accomplish without her in my life. The amount of things that she does, my goodness. And not just her, my kids as well. They've played a role. They've, they've, they have offered input. They have participated. They've made a difference. And it would be foolish for me to take all of their efforts and their merits and then pretend as if I built this work alone. No, that's not the case at all. And anybody listening, I, like I say, I, I hesitate to get into naming people beyond my own household because somebody would inevitably be left out of the list that really should be in the list. But there are a lot of people that make a big difference. And I would like to say I appreciate it uh, thoroughly 
I do, but I probably don't know everything that everyone does. No doubt, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the case. But thank God for you, folks. Verse uh, 17, 17, 19. This will be our last one. Seek God's seal of approval. So you can see my S's that I've strung together here. A standard stretch, steel, stand, seal. Seek God's seal of approval. So verses 17 and 18. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, you got to keep the, the chapter in mind. There were other people boasting, bragging, using man-made standards to judge themselves, using other men as the standard and therefore thinking they're something when they're not. He says, guys, the only thing that we'd be able to honestly say about ourselves, which really holds any weight, is what God says about us. So he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The only opinion that really matters at the end of the day is God's. Verse 18, for not he that commendeth himself is approved. That commending of, him, of yourself, that would go back to verse 12, I dare not make myself of the number. Right? Same thought there. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Question sometimes comes up. Would God, can God, even right now, can he give you his seal of approval? Would God, and I mentioned it this morning in my sermon, would God actually lean over heaven and speak and whisper into your heart and say, well done, I am pleased with you. Now he did this for Christ, right? Remember this in Matthew 3, he speaks from heaven at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the idea there, I've heard people say, well, that's Jesus. You know, God wouldn't do that for us. That's Jesus. Now, God may not crack heaven open and speak audibly and say that. He could, but there's, there's no promise that he would. But is there any indication that God would say that to you or I, that he would commend us? Now, I showed you a verse earlier, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, that on the day of judgment, God would praise a man. Every man shall have praise of God. What, what kind of praise is this? This is where God would say, well done, I approve. You have my seal of approval. But what about right now? Even in our fallen, incomplete, failed situation, right? Still stuck in this sinful body. Still fall short despite our best efforts. Is there any chance that God would lean over, whisper in your heart and say, I'm happy? Well done. Let me give you a couple instances where I think God has done something similar to this. I want to show you a couple places here. Um, I'm going to show you, first of all, this is Jesus speaking with Peter. Now, you know the story here. Peter's denied the Lord three times. This is a, a you know several days later after the resurrection. Jesus has called all the disciples to the, to the beach, to the shore. He's having a men's breakfast with them. And he specifically pulls Peter aside. When they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Interesting question. Now, I don't think, I don't think that he's asking me, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? It's not a competition like that. I think he's asking him about the fish. Do you love me more than the fish? And you say, why would he ask 
about the fish because that's what Peter kept going back to. He was a fisherman. That's what Peter was doing when Jesus said, come and dine. He was back to fishing. I think he's asking him about the fish. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. Saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Saith unto him, feed my sheep. Feed the little ones, feed the big ones. Verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now, now watch how this thing unfolds. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. You went where you wanted to. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. You're going to end up in bondage. And, and he did. He, he ended up, obviously, uh, persecuted and crucified upside down. And he ended up in, uh, let's say, captivity in that sense. Verse 19, this spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God, which did come to pass. It, it was an ignominious death. And when he had spoken this, now here's the encouragement. He saith unto him, follow me. That's where it all started. With Jesus walking by Peter's fishing boat saying, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, him and his brother. And there was another occasion where Jesus had Peter in the boat, said, launch out into the deep, right? Caught that massive amount of fish, brought it into the boat. Peter said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. This is in Luke 5. And then the Lord says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. This is now the third time that he says to Peter, follow me. So there's no doubt when Peter hears this, he knows I'm reinstated. In this condition, Peter is I say fresh off of the denials. He's still in love with the Lord. Those denials were heat of the moment, horrible mistake, which I think we've all been there, right? A massive regret. But the Lord saying, I'm not done with you. Now listen, if, if the Lord were to sit next to you tonight and whisper into your heart and say, listen, I, I know maybe you haven't done as much as you should have been doing with everything that I've given you, with all the opportunities, the resources, the knowledge. Maybe you should have been accomplishing more. You should have been fishing for men. Maybe you've fallen off a little bit there, but I'm still going to use you. Now, that's not the same as well done, thou art my beloved, but isn't that some encouragement? Isn't that the Lord? That's not condemnation, right? That's the Lord saying, I, I have hope for you. We can enlarge you. We can take the gospel to the next region, to the next person, to the next neighbor. You, you're, of, you're of value. You're of use to me. Let me show you another occasion, this time with the Apostle Paul. Paul was clearly told by the Lord not to go to Jerusalem. God tried several things to make that clear to Paul. And Paul kind of bucked against that when anyway. Now, you know, Paul, his attitude was nothing's going to move me. I don't even count my life dear unto myself. I'm just going to finish uh, the task, right? I'm going to accomplish the goal. That is uh, preaching the gospel, the grace of God. Paul ends up arrested, right, in Jerusalem. Now he's in chains. Uh, 
in the passage that we're looking at in Acts 23, stood before the Sanhedrin, a big mess. Look what it says in verse 11. The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. Now, Paul wasn't as out of sorts as Peter was. It wasn't like Paul denied the Lord three times. But Paul knew, yeah, the Lord didn't want me to swing through Jerusalem. This was of my own doing. And Paul could have gotten the idea, man, God had a plan to, for me to go here, here, and here. I took a different path. Man, I, I don't know if God's going to use me any further. Maybe this is as far as I can go in the gospel ministry. I've put myself in a mess. I'm not going to go any further. Okay, it was a mistake. But he says, be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. He said, Paul, I, I know you had good intentions. You came to Jerusalem to bear witness to me. I know that. And Paul, I'm going to get you out of this. We're going to get you to Rome. Now, Paul was going to make it to Rome anyway. He just went second class. He went in chains <laughs> rather than as a free man, but he made it. And God still used him abundantly. So will the Lord commend? Yes. Now, it might sound different depending on who you are. But the Lord can certainly commend. Let me give you some different ways that God can give you the seal of approval even now. When He uses you to bring a person to Christ, when He uses you to help somebody grow, when God opens doors and gives you, uses you as the vessel to communicate the truth, whether that be the gospel or some other further truth that somebody needs in their spiritual life, when God uses you to do that, that is God commending you, right? You remember this verse in 2 Timothy 2 where it talks about being a vessel meet for the master's use. God is allowed to be picky with who he uses. And the, Now, I'm not saying that you have to be the most perfect Christian that ever walked the earth in order to be used of God. Right? Didn't I just show you Peter, Paul, in the midst of their, their failures, God was still using them. But the fact that God would call upon you to be involved and to take the gospel to the next person, that's a big deal. That, I believe in 2 Corinthians 10, that's how the Lord commends us. N notice in verse 18... For not he that commendeth, that's present tense. We would say commends. For not he that commends himself is approved, but who the Lord commends. That's present tense. That's not in the future. That's right now. The Lord can commend people. What is the letter of recommendation or the letter of commendation that God can give somebody? As Paul said, ye are our epistles written in our hearts. The fact that God uses you to touch somebody else's life, that's God saying you were an acceptable vessel. And that's a big deal. If somebody else offers you some encouraging words, right? And you have, Paul even talked about it earlier in this epistle in 2 Corinthians 3, talks about a letter of commendation from other people. He says, do I need that letter of commendation to show you? You might have other people's approval. And that's, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. But again, put it in perspective. Just because somebody else likes what you're doing, that's, they don't get the final say. 
you might have several people thinking that, yep, this this is this guy's the real deal. But you you want to reserve final judgment for you want to let the Lord do that. I've had some preachers give me some encouraging words down through the years. I've come out of the pulpit and and preachers have come over and shook my hand and said some things that I have never repeated to anybody else because it was very special to me. It was very personal to me. It meant a lot, and I respect greatly the men that said it. I take seriously their opinion. But I'm also careful because that was one sermon, and that man saw certain things happen. I believe he has experience. You know, These pastors that said these things, they have experience in the work of God, so I appreciate and have value in what they had to say. But they are still men. So I'll walk away from that encouraged, but I want to keep that encouragement within the measure of the rule. I want to make sure that their opinion doesn't become the standard. I want to ultimately seek God's seal of approval. That's the only thing that's going to matter one day. right? There's a song we sing, and God help me, I can't sing it tonight. But at the end of that song, it talks about how one day you'll be standing before Jesus and the only thought you'll have is, what will He do with me? What will He do with me? Will I get that seal of approval or not? And I think this chapter helps a lot. When, it, when, it, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, we want to be busy fighting the good fight, not fighting with each other. The good fight of faith has nothing to do with Let me have more faith than the next guy. If I'm doing my job right, I'm going to try to build your faith, not prove that I have more than you. This week, let's be busy doing something with what God has given us, the abilities, the gifts, the resources. Let's look for an opportunity for God to use us. Amen. All right, Father, thank you for this evening, the opportunity to talk about these very important things. And I do pray, God, that you would use us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow us, enlarge us, only so that we can accomplish this very important task of the Great Commission. We want to be able to tell other people about Christ so that they can be a part of what you're doing in our lives. The same thing you're working in us, you can work in them. Please use us, God, to that end. Lord, we do seek your seal of approval. We don't deserve it. Father, at the end of the day, if anything good comes from us, we recognize that it is you that works in us uh, this, this good thing. Father, we are honored. We are honored that you do that work continually and so faithfully. Lord, help us to seek that inner voice, that spirit, that, that Holy Spirit speaking to us, saying, We're satisfied. It's enough. I'm using you. Lord, how comforting that is. I pray you'd encourage each one that's listened to this, Lord, that they might be busy running the race that is set before them. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining tonight. Lord willing, we'll see you again soon.